Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim R. Today's episode 158, and we're going to be interviewing TJS. How are you doing this afternoon, sir? Doing excellent. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm excited to do this. How about you? Yeah, really excited. All right, man. Like I was telling you before, let's start with the first question, which is tell me about your childhood. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I had a pretty rough upbringing uh, as a child. You know, I was living in an abusive household. Um, My parents got divorced at a pretty early age, and I didn't really understand what the chaos was all about. What kind of Uh, abuse? uh, Lots of physical abuse from my father. He was um, basically a dry drunk and a very angry person. And, you know, it just, I, I would get beat quite a bit, cuffed over the head, spanked, you know, all of the above. And, you know, that vulnerability really transformed into aggression in my later years um I was an only child growing up and you know I just didn't have that structure and and you know comfortability of you know a lot of these families have um my mom was really timid and and didn't stick up for anything and that was just became the normal that I grew up with and you know fast forward a couple years there was some sexual abuse from a neighbor that happened and you know a lot of guys it it happens quite a bit and you know us guys are so shameful about that kind of stuff we don't talk about it enough Um, but I think that really you know pushed a lot of the addiction issues so you know, the first time I ever experienced alcohol, I was 12 years old. And, um, you know, it went from zero to 100. I I ended up in the hospital with my stomach pumped. And, you know, you would have thought that that would have been enough to kind of turn me off from it. But it didn't. That was just the beginning. And um, how did you get how did you get the alcohol? Were you uh, it was called a boot. So we go down and find someone outside the liquor store that was, you know, older. And, uh, you know, we actually found it through a friend of a friend and he actually gave us, it was a one liter bottle that was pre-mixed and, uh, with pop. And I just didn't have the experience and I just drank it like it was pop and that was it. And, you know, I just remember a few things spiraling out of control. And then the next thing I woke up in the hospital and, you know, that was, that was the first experience. And, and then after that, you know, I slowed down a little bit, was a little bit more careful, but being a shy kind of individual, that alcohol made me feel like I was unstoppable. It made me feel like I was a center of the party. It made me feel, it took me out of that uncomfortability. And, um, you know, so that really kind of elevated my drinking. And, you know, when I got into to high school, it was, you know, the parties and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and then, I, you know, I got bullied and stuff a little bit in uh, my first couple of years of high school. And that really, like I said, it, it just got to a point where I was just sick of it. And then I started fighting back. And then, um, you know, I would be in fights and fights. And then every time I would drink, I would become this aggressor and just go crazy. Was the uh, abuse, like what you mentioned, uh, the abuse from your neighbor, was that ongoing? Like, was that something you had to battle your whole, like, oh, your childhood? Uh, or was it like No, a- it happened about three or four times. Okay. Right? And, and then, you know, my dad finally caught wind of it. And I actually ended up getting beat for that. Like, it was my fault. So um, really confusing times. I just, I didn't know what was going on. And, and like I said, the alcohol really would take away a lot of that guilt and shame and confusion, um, and just kind of numb it out. And, and, you know, having the ability to numb out the pain with something is, is very dangerous because, you know, you, you don't have to feel what you, you know, essentially need to feel so that you can heal from it. Right. And, um, 
you know, so once I started fighting and, and fighting back all these bullies and everything, it, it came to a point where my school was sick of it. And I ended up getting kicked out and my, my mom was sick of it and I ended up getting kicked out. So at 15, I was basically homeless with no education. And, um, you know, that's when I kind of turned to this organized crime of, of growing marijuana. And, uh, that was kind of what my life became. And you said uh, you, you said you were growing it. Yeah. Yeah. At 15, I, I moved into this house that was a grow house before and, the people that were there um, um, asked me if I wanted to keep doing it. And so that's, they taught me how, and, and that's what I did for, you know, two years or so and made some great money and thought I was untouchable. And basically in the small town that I grew up in, I, I burned every bridge, you know, mostly due to drinking because I just became out of control. And, and um, so what that kind of thing, what kind of things were you doing when you burn bridges? Oh, I would just go and just, fight people i would you know go rob other crops i would you know just think that i was untouchable and um you know stealing and and just up to no good basically um you know and and then it got to a point where you know there's some people that were kind of after me i guess and i i just i said you know screw it and I, i left town i lied about my age and i went to alberta and worked on the oil rigs and um you know, at 16, 17, working around a bunch of men in a, a industry that's um, surrounded with addiction, heavy equipment, dangerous. You're in the wintertime, it's minus, you know, 40, minus 50. In the summertime, it's plus 40. And I missed out on all those teenage years and all the things, the prom, the graduation, the, the high school parties, the first dates, all that stuff. You know, I was forced to grow from a boy to a man um, really quick. And, uh, you know, it was, it was tough. I think one of the things that really kept me out of, um, you know, throwing away a lot, big part of my life through drinking and addiction was the gym. So I would go after work and I'd go work out and and that would be my outlet to take out a lot of the aggression where the other guys would go and go to the bar and, and go drinking. And, and, you know, after I'd go meet up, up with them and I would have a few drinks, but, when I drink, it's like zero to a hundred. It's not like I can have a couple. It's just like nonstop. So then again, it would be, you know, in these towns, working on these rigs, going to the gym, drinking, and then getting in fights. And that was, you know, how it went all around Alberta. Um, you know, fast forward to 25 and, um, you know, on the outside, it looked like I had everything. I had a house that I had bought my first house. I had all the vehicles. I had an amazing relationship um, a great job. I kind of had the drinking under control at that point. So I thought, and, um, then the recession hit and I had all these big payments and, and everything that I had, you know, this lifestyle I've created and then work just instantly stopped. And I had to figure out a way that I was going to still maintain the lifestyle that I had. Um, so I went back to what I thought I knew and that was crime. And, you know, I started selling drugs and, um, really getting into that lifestyle. I, what kind of drugs? Was it anything other than weed? Oh yeah. 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 What were you selling? I was selling Coke. I was selling meth. Um, and, uh, you know, it got, where do you find, where do you find the connects for all that stuff? Like for me, I used to sell weed, like by, I used to get a pound and then distribute it and all that. And I got lucky 
and a kid in my town had some connection where he used to get a couple pounds and he would sell, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so basically when it came to that point, you know, starting small and, and then kind of moving up the scale um, and, and being good at what I did and, and not getting high on my own supply, I was able to kind of do that. And then it came to the point where um, I basically got involved with gang gangs and the gang lifestyle and, and uh, notorious motorcycle clubs. And, and that really became the pivotal point. And, um, you know, I was part of something that was a, a support club for a really big club. And um, it goes what do you mean a support club? I thought it was. Uh, so there's like the main clubs, you know, that everybody talks about. And then there's like these support clubs that basically it's, it's run as a structure of the same and they they pick guys from that to to move up right um so i mean i don't want to get too much into it but uh you know that was kind of my life and and i really got into that pretty hard and my girlfriend at the time was like well you got to choose it's either you're going to be with me or you're going to go this way with your lifestyle and you know i i I chose that so she left and, and i was full on into that um, you know, and then it, it went from, you know, selling ounces to selling bricks to selling guns to the whole nine yards, um, and everything that comes with it, you know, so doing the things that I was doing, kidnappings, extortion collections, and right down the line to the point where, you know, I had my house raided by the SWAT team. They came in and, um, you know, I was looking at 10 years in jail for, for a lot of the things and, and, um, you know, I had a high priced lawyer that got me off of all these charges and, and I was on curfew for a couple of years, but I thought I was untouchable at that point. And, um, you know, everywhere I went, it was a target. I've been stabbed. I had my throat slashed. I've had my, my stomach cut open. Um, and life was just spiraling out of control. And I, I started using the drugs that I was selling because I had no other way to, to deal with it and that was how I would numb everything out and the paranoia that came with it and you know it got to a point where I was asleep in my house one morning and bang 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 I woke up I thought it was actually the cops banging on my door but someone did a drive-by and shot seven high-powered rounds right through my house and they went through every single wall and out the back side of my house about a foot from where I was sleeping and um that was, you know, a really pivotal point. And, uh, you know, so for a month or so after that, I would leave the house with a bulletproof vest or one of these. What was this about, like, territories and shit? Uh, pretty much money. You know, people owed me about $100,000, and I was pushing really hard to collect that money. And and um, they didn't want to pay. <laughs> yeah, they didn't want to pay. So it'd be a lot easier just to kill me, right? And Yeah. Uh, and so that was kind of the way that I lived my life. And, and, you know, I transformed kind of a little bit away. I opened up a business and kind of had a, a side hustle, I guess, and ran things through that. And what kind know, of business? Um, it was a fitness, fitness store, fitness, clothing, tanning, um, you know, and, and I had, there was investigations. They'd be sending undercover cops. They'd be having customers come in and putting recording devices in my store and, it just, it, it, my life was just out of control. It was just like shit you'd see in the movies. And, and I was just so tired of living that way. And I felt like I had no real escape. And uh, so then again, using more and more drugs. And basically it, it got to a point where I didn't know 
what I was going to do, how I was going to get out of it. It was coming to a point where I was either going to end up dead in jail, um, kill myself. And I, I, one night I was really high and fucked up and I put a gun in my mouth and I pulled the trigger and, and it jammed. And, you know, that was a huge point where I was like, holy shit, you know, what what brought you to that point? No way out. I didn't feel like I had a way out. I, I just, I was so fed up. I felt like I couldn't stop using drugs. And what was your drug of choice? Um, I wouldn't really say it was my drug of choice. It was just, I was using a lot of Coke because it was around and, you know, I was repressing bricks and I just, I'd always have it around and it just got to the point where I'd be like, I don't want to do this. And then I do it and I don't want to do it anymore. And I just, you know, it, it just, I couldn't stop. And then I'm just sitting at home watching the cameras, paranoid, didn't want to leave my house. Um, you know, so after that point, I talked to a couple people and they just said, we'll get to a meeting. And, you know, that was, I didn't have any other choice. I didn't know what else to do. So I went to my first AA meeting and it was a men's meeting. Um, There was about 70 guys there. And I walked in there, this big, tough gangster. So I thought and sat down and every person that shared, I heard my story, you know, all different people, all different walks of life. There's part of me. There's part of me. There's part of me. And I just started bawling my eyes out. I just, I couldn't even control it. It just came over me and I just, that was it. And, you know, when people say AA saved their life, I believe them because I know that AA saved my life. And um, I didn't get it. I didn't get it the first time. You know, it's, it took a little while. And, uh, but, you know, the first meeting that I went to, they say it screws up your drinking or drugging career because that seed gets planted. And, you know, I would remember those guys. I still remember some of the faces from that first meeting. And, and the people that were there that, you know, could love me until I could love myself. Because when I walked in there, I was just broken. I was a broken man. I didn't love myself. I didn't even know who I was. Um, you know, and with the tools of the program, I was able to leave that lifestyle behind. And um, I moved what, tool, what tools did they provide you the program? What would you say uh, those were? like? Well, I mean... First of all, I was admitting that I had a problem because I didn't even think that I really had a problem. I knew that I was screwed up and um, learning to live a life of spirituality, that there's something more out there. I'm, I'm not a religious person by any means, but, um, you know, knowing that there's something out there that has my back, um, also teaching me to live in the moment, you know, one day at a time, not having to worry about what happened yesterday and, and not, uh, you know, looking too far down the road. Um, also, you know, when it says, you know, step eight made a list of all persons we had harmed, being willing to make amends, to be able to forgive myself was something that really um, helped me change because I was so cloaked in guilt and shame and regret and remorse and all this stuff. And I just didn't know how to let that go. So, you know, with working the steps and, and, having a guide for living, it, it just really was able to shape me into the person that I am today, you know, and, and they say, you know, don't just do the steps once. I mean, now I don't do the steps. I live the steps on a daily basis. Um, so, you know, 
death, jail, or recovery. Those are my three options. This new option had come up of a life of recovery, and, and that's what I chose. And um, I moved back to the small town that I was born in and, and uh, where everything all started. Um, you know, I moved my business back here and, and started over leaving all that criminal enterprise and criminal lifestyle behind. And, uh, it was tough, man. It was tough dealing with the stuff sober. It was tough not having all the money that I had. Um, and, uh, here in British Columbia, there's a mental emergency. There's an overdose epidemic that's happening right now. And seven people a day are dying in BC uh, really? uh, toxic drug overdose. And, you know, I think that number is probably quite a bit higher right now. They can't even keep up with what's going on. Um, and, and then during COVID, what happened is four of my really close friends overdosed and died in one week. And, um, that was a point for me that I was like, okay, well, I got to do something. I have to would, do something. Would they um, overdose on, uh, mostly cocaine, and you know they were daily users that it just there was a bunch of bad dope going around and there was fentanyl in it and that was it and you know these are these guys have kids they have families they have wives um the thing with addiction you know that we don't realize when we're in it is we're you know selfishly just thinking it's us that it affects but we're just the epicenter and it affects all these people around us um you know, these kids have to grow up without parents now and these wives have to, you know, be the mother and the father. And, and, you know, so it's a really damning thing. Um, so I was able to sell, I had a little tattoo shop and a clothing store. I was actually able to sell it for, you know, a small little profit, uh, during COVID super blessed. And I took all of that money and I put it into the place that I'm in renovating it and turning it into a treatment center. Um, and it took me about six months to, to do all the paperwork and the programs and the policies the procedures, the renovations. Um, and about five months ago, I opened and um, we're just small. We have four or five beds and it's a recovery center for men. And we focus on the four pillars of recovery, spirituality, nutrition and fitness. And um, these guys come in here for 30, 60, 90 days. We're in the gym five days a week. We do boxing. We do nature hikes. They, it is 12 step based. Um, you know, they have counseling twice a week and uh, a bunch of stuff. We do indigenous go with the indigenous culture and community and do sweat lodges and spirit baths. And um, it's a pretty amazing thing to watch these guys transform their lives and get their lives back. Cause when they come in here, they were just as broken as I was. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it helps keep me sober. It helps me become that living amends for all the things that, you know, I did in my past that I can't, uh, I can't ever make up for directly, but, you know, through giving back and helping these guys get their lives back and using my lived experience, um, you know, it's, uh, the gifts of sobriety and it just, it's, it's amazing thing to see these guys, get their families back and their kids and and uh you know because a lot of times kids beg their parents you know why can't you just stop please just stop using please just stop drinking and they say okay okay i will i will and then you know the next day they're right back at it and yeah you know if our kids can't stop us from using what can right and um you know, so it's, it's been quite the journey the last couple of years. And, um, you know, I'm also part of a group of a bunch of people from across Canada called Empower to Recover. 
And what we are doing is, you know, recover, we recover loud and we're bringing the voice to the government to say, hey, you guys need to start paying for absence-based programs because I get no government funding. Um, I get no grants. I get no help. And, um, you know, recovery coaching should be accessible to everybody. The government should be paying for recovery coaches. A lot of people don't know what recovery coaching is, but it's basically a new type of, of healing that people with lived experience like myself share our experience with people and we meet them wherever they're at in their, their journey of, of wanting to get sober. Um, and it's a whole different life than going in and speaking to a counselor and someone who's gone to school for four or five years, but has no idea what it feels like to relapse, what it feels like to lose a loved one, what it feels like to be addicted and not be able to stop. So, um, you know, we're trying to bring awareness to get funding for these programs. And, um, you know, we, we have a bunch of cool stuff we're doing. We're donating uh, $5,000 each to three nonprofits that are recovery based. Um, we have a program called Pitch Your Recovery Business. So if you're in um, recovery and you have a business idea, you bring it forward to us and we're going to pick the top one that we think is going to have the most impact. And we're going to give them a $5,000 startup. We're going to give them some business coaching. We're going to give them um, a website and a whole marketing package. And um, so we're doing our first event November 19th in Vancouver, British Columbia. And um, we're hoping to bring this across Canada and then eventually into the States. And um, another thing I've done is uh, I've started a sober clothing line called Therapy Threads. And 100% of the proceeds of that go back to treatment centers and um, um, help guys get access to treatment that's great that's really great doing good things it sounds like so how long did it take you to get this started i mean when you first started i mean what was your what was your plan how long did you think it was going to take and how long did it take yeah, when I first started, I, I mean, I learned a lot in, in, from failures, from mistakes, and just from keep on pushing through. When I first started, I wanted to go so big. We, we wanted a big therapeutic community and a big farm and people come there and live there. And, and uh, it just became, the government has so many, much red tape and so many restrictions and so many hoops you got to jump through um you know I just took a big step back and said okay we got to slow down and use what we have I, I had a, a building that I used that I had for my store um and basically we talked to the landlord and, and um you know signed a, a longer lease that allowed us to do what we were doing so basically uh I sold my business last August so it's basically been about a year um to do all the paperwork the planning the renovations and um to be open and like i said we've been open for five months now so how's it know, gone it's it's going amazing i mean it's it's challenging i'm the only guy here um right now so i'm here 24 7 with these guys and uh you know it gets exhausting sometimes right because they come in at their rock bottom and and i gotta help them rebuild their lives and you know it becomes taxing on my own spiritual cup sometimes but then there's there's all the wins and and you know like i said watching these guys rebuild their lives save their lives and knowing that you know their families know that they have a safe place that they're here and they're safe for the time that they're here 
um, and some of the things we do. Like the other day, we went for an overnight camping trip up the mountain, and and we went and hiked one of the highest peaks in in the little town that we're at, and we're up there right at sunset, and it was just life changing. It was a life changing spiritual experience for myself and these guys. Sounds like again, you're doing really good things. So what's your like uh what what's your business plan? Are you expecting to grow? What are you trying to do? Yeah, so the next phase, um, we're looking to open up a women's house uh where they can actually bring their small children. So if there's single moms who are, you know, wanting recovery, uh their kids don't have to go back into the system or into foster care. Um, they can actually recover together and um, grow together because we're really about breaking that generational trauma and that generational addiction and breaking that chain so um, that's probably coming into works for early 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 to mid next year and then we're also working on a second stage house so you know once these guys finish their 90-day program they have another safe house to transition into where they can actually start to work and have a life and um, but it's also a safe environment that's based on recovery and spirituality and routine. Um, and then within our five-year goal is that therapeutic community um, and basically a big farm that uh, is fully self-sustainable and grows its own vegetables and food. And um, also uh, there's an element that we're working on that uh, grows hemp. So hemp can be used for building materials, bioplastics, clothing, um, it'll give these people a purpose and a job. And then we're going to build these little recovery pods that are, you know, 99% built out of hemp, hemp material um, that have solar panels, rainwater collection, and um, they can live there, recover there, and they don't have to worry about having their house sold or their landlords kick them out and they have a safe place that they can grow. Because right now in BC, there's also a housing shortage that's going on. Um, and a lot of people are being kicked out of their house because their their landlords are selling it for major profit. And um, so there's a lot of things right now that's, that's really hard in Canada with the overdose crisis and the housing crisis, um, you know, COVID and everything really had a big effect on people. And people are hurting right now and they're sad and they're numbing out at an exponential rate of using drugs and alcohol because that's that's what gives them this escape from the reality that they're in. Sounds like you're a good businessman also. You're very organized and have a goal and mission. That's great. Yeah, I mean, uh, I hate to say it, but uh, selling drugs does give you a a schooling in uh, business. And um, so what I've learned from that I just uh, kind of transferred over from doing bad to doing good. I didn't graduate high school. I don't have any, you know, substantial education in that aspect, but uh, it all comes down to having goals, setting goals and um, not giving up, you know, failures happen, setbacks happen, but uh, you know, just never give up on that because anything is possible. Dreams do come true. It's hard work, but it's just a matter of, keep going, keep going, keep going. You can have anything you want in this world. If you can accept a thousand no's, eventually somebody's going to say yes. That's great. I'm excited for you. Yeah. Yeah. There's some big things coming and, um, you know, it's just really about giving back. You know, my whole model is impact over income. I'm not doing this to make money and drive flashy cars and, and that whole lifestyle. You know, the, the time when I was the most unhappy in my life was when I had the most material things. And, um, you know, this fills up my spiritual cup. 
and uh you know it's given me a whole different way of of living and you know living to give back is my life's purpose i'm living my life's purpose now and i mean when i was in that gang lifestyle and doing all that i was having a personality crisis because it wasn't who i i was it wasn't aligned with my core values and now i'm living my core values every day that's good so again towards the end here let me ask you a question what type of advice would you have for people watching and listening? The type of advice I'd have for people watching and listening, I mean, for one, there's no shame in asking for help. Um, if you're struggling, you know, myself, I always had a hard time reaching out and asking for help. I thought I was burdening other people. I thought that I was a, a, a problem, I, you know, <laughs> but in hindsight, when people ask me for help, it actually helps me. Um, you know, and, and, you know, so, so don't be afraid to ask for help because you're going to get the help that you need and you're actually going to end up helping somebody else. So there's that. And like I said before, never give up, you know, have dreams so big that it scares people and do whatever, whatever it takes to accomplish that. You know, there's nothing in this world that people can't accomplish. It all comes down to just believing in yourself, never giving up and doing whatever it takes. Yeah, I would love to do that with Addicts Anonymous. I would love to grow. And, you know, those are some of the plans I have. Um, because in America, it's different to open. I don't know how it is in Canada. But with us, it's all about the insurance. Getting the insurance to pay for their stay and stuff like that. I hear that end of the business year is terrible. Like, just absolutely terrible trying to get money from insurance companies. Because they don't want to pay. Their whole goal and their whole mission in the U.S. is to not pay out. So they'll do whatever it takes. Um, like, that's one of the things, like, I think you have to be 12-step based sometimes for certain insurance companies. and not it, 12 steps aren't for everybody. I love AA. Save my life. Um, but, you know, they're not for everybody. No, there's no one solution for the entire community. You know what I mean? Everyone's different. The Dalai Lama says it best. He goes, there's 8 billion people on the planet, which is 8 billion different points of view and opinions. So everyone's different, you know? Yeah. How, yeah. how does it How does it work with you guys up there? So you said, so it sounds like you're doing good by yourself because you don't get any funding from the government, you said. Yeah, so the government up here is all based around harm reduction, which okay. is fine harm reduction does save lives. Um, but to me, and this is just my opinion, harm reduction is a bit of a band-aid and it doesn't actually give people their life back. It kind of keeps them consumed on Suboxone, methadone, all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I'm private pay and, you know, I'm about a quarter of what some of these other treatment centers are. Um, eventually I'd like to, you know, be government funded, but I mean, the government pays $45 a day for recovery and you're supposed to have fees, feed, educate, entertain, um, you know, counsel these people for $45 a day with my four or five beds. It wouldn't even, it wouldn't even cover my rent. Right. And yeah. we've got major inflation up here with the food. Um, you know, so some of these places that are government funded, they got like 30 or 40 beds, they cram all these guys in there, they take their substance check, and they go to maybe a meeting a day, and maybe they do a bit of group a day, the rest of the time, you're just sitting around idle. 
right? With, with my program, like from eight in the morning till eight at night, these guys are nonstop. Like they, they don't have time to, to think about anything. It's just the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Um, and I've seen great success with that. So it, it's just about, you know, kind of navigating the different loopholes. My, mine is 12 step based. You know, we are going to be possibly adding a, a harm reduction element at the end, um, you know, for when people leave early or they quit or they get kicked out um, and hoping to maybe get some funding that way, because even at this private pay, it's still a struggle. Like it's not, it's not like it's just an easy fix and these guys come and go and there's money in the bank and, and everything's hunky dory. It's, you know, we get a lot of help from volunteers and so it is, it, it's always a challenge. It keeps me on my toes, but you know, whether it's the States or Canada or whatever, that's why this, this group empowered to recover is so important because we're getting as many people as we can together to bring the voice that says, Hey, you know, the government needs to step up and do something. There was $875 million that the federal government in Canada has misspent or is missing that they, they can't um, say where it's accounted for. And nobody's asking the questions, you know, where did that money go? Because we need that money. You know, and with Empower to Recover, we're asking the question, what if we could stop addiction before it even starts? So let's go back to the youth and let's give them the tools before they get to where we are and have to go through the stuff that we get, that we had to go through. You know, let's give them the support, the mentorship, the, the big brotherhood, the, the tools so that they don't have to fall into the trap to become addicted, right? Because those addictive personalities and, and habits start at a very young age, so we're asking that question. So how do people find, because, you know, there might be people listening from, you know, I know a lot of people actually listen from Canada. So if somebody wanted to find you, how do they go about doing that? Okay. So if somebody wanted to find me, there's a few ways. There's Instagram at coastal underscore recovery community. There's my website, www.coastalrecoverycommunity.com. There is also therapythreads.ca is the clothing line for um, money that goes to support treatment. And then there is empower2recover.com. If anybody wants to get involved with that movement, it's a great way to get involved, recover loud, and um, create a voice for the ones who we've lost. Yeah, it sounds like you're doing really great things. And also sounds like you're, you've got a mission and you're not joking around I say about me with this I have no intention of failing sounds like you're the same type of mentality yeah I mean I've failed more times than I can count but I just get back up and keep going and I, exactly. I learn from that failure when one door closes another one always opens the hardest part for me is when I'm sitting in that hallway when all the doors are closed and I'm sitting idle waiting for the next one to open that's when I really have to sit with my spirituality trust my higher power trust that the universe has my back um and just wait right because i'm a go 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 kind of guy and, and when i'm just waiting for something to open it's really hard but that door always does open and just got to be waiting to to look for it awesome so does you have anything else you want to add I mean, I think that's it, uh, you know, just on the failure thing, you know, failure breeds success. You know, I know a lot of people are so scared to fail. Um, they're scared when one thing fails, just keep going. That's all I can say. Failure breeds success. If we didn't fail, we would never succeed. 
um, you know, and, um, and if anyone's out there struggling, you know, and, and need someone to reach out to and they don't know who, I'm always available. And if I'm not the right resource for you, I have a Rolodex of other resources that I can point you in the right direction. So um, no matter what you're going through, what stage of recovery, if you're sober curious, if you're relapsing, if you're looking for a loved one, just reach out because there's tons of help out there. Awesome. I want to thank you for coming on and doing this today. How do you feel? I feel amazing, man. I really appreciate it. I'm really glad we connected and, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to watch what you're doing in the future. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I'm, a, I'm like you. I'm just trying to help the community because it keeps me sober also, just like you said, keeps you busy, keeps you sober. You know, I, I try to stay busy with this stuff. Absolutely. hundred percent. All right, my man, sit tight for everybody watching and listening. If you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like also subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can check us out on Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Tumblr. You can also check us out at www.addict-anonymous.com. There you'll find plenty of free resources as well as free literature. That's all we have for today. I hope you enjoyed it. And until next time.